everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back. This is your go-to podcast for anyone craving fresh ways to apply God's word to your everyday life. Today, we're going to see how our ordinary and even messy moments can become platforms for the miraculous with my special guest, Pete Deschat. I am so excited about our conversation and you might want to sit down to hear his story. I promise you, you will not be the same. I'm going to introduce Pete in just a second. And I want to just say that later this month, I'm in a series called Hometown Heroes. So this whole month, you're going to be hearing incredible stories of four people that I am blessed to know personally that have so much to teach us about trusting God when the unexpected and uninvited happens in our lives. Next week, I'll host Dr. Angela Thomas. She's a teacher, an author, a speaker, a coach, a leader, an academic. Goodness, she's amazing. And in her own words, she said this to me, everything about my background said I should fail, but God. When I was 13, my mother survived being shot five times in front of my grandparents' house on the streets of Detroit. And three years later, I gave birth to my son at the age of 16. She'll share how she transformed her life through God's help to earn four degrees and build an executive career, all while raising her son. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, reach out to me at AngelaDenadio.com and we would love to have you. Well, I don't want to waste another second in you getting a chance to meet Pete. Now, he said to me as his introduction, I'm not a pastor, an evangelist, or a theologian. I'm just a guy who loves Jesus and wants to share with the world what he's done in my life. But see, I know Pete personally. And when I first met him, he was in the early stages of an excruciating recovery from a horrific event. A plane crashed into his Florida home, killing his daughter, Gabriella and leaving Pete burned over 96% of his body. I'll never forget the first time I led worship with Pete playing on the bass. He was so determined to play despite the damage that the fire had done to his hands. And as I sang, I'm trading my sorrows, I looked back out of the corner of my eye, I saw him and his determination to worship through the fire left an indelible imprint on my soul. Welcome, Pete. I am so honored that you're with us today. It's so funny you put that about the Trading My Sorrows song. I remember that very well. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember, at that time, I was still blind. I couldn't see anything. And so when I'd get the the music for the week, it was like I got blank sheets of paper. You might as well just handed me a bunch of brand new sheets of paper and put it in front of me. So I would work for like 40 hours that week before the, the Sunday just to memorize every little mm. bit of the song, any change, any possible turn or twist. And because I couldn't see, and I, I know you remember, my arm was frozen, uh, my right arm. So I had to hold the bass like a foot in front of me and just kind of drape my hand over and try to find the strings. So it's, it's, as a musician, that's like the least natural way that you can do anything. And uh, you looked back at me and left me this wide open space to play a little lead. And I have no idea, it was probably awful, but it was just pretty cool to do that. <laughs> it wasn't awful, it was it was moving, I can remember. And you were also great. It wasn't like you were just fumbling. You, 
you, oh my goodness. It was just, we were saying earlier, I need to play with you again. It's been a while since I've played with you. And I know, I know you well, um, but you know, tell our listeners who maybe are being introduced to you for the very first time. I know already they're going to want to know where to find you. And his website is through the fire.net. I'm going to put that in my show notes, but tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, your ministry, kind of what's going on. And then we'll talk some about your story. Well, um, boy, God has been so gracious and has opened so many doors. I have no idea what I've done to deserve the favor that he's given me. I'm actually speaking uh, later this month in Israel at the Baptist School of Nazareth. So that's a pretty big deal because the school is 70% Muslim. Um, you know, Nazareth's in the Palestinian uh, state. So it's just really been so cool how God's opened up. I've been able to just go and share not only the truth of of who God is, but, you know, how he's always there with us, no matter what's happening in this world. You know, he's, he never leaves us, that's for sure. When you first came to us, had you, you had just lived in Florida prior, right? So walk me through, I don't know if you want to start with the accident or if you want to start with moving here. That's my first introduction to you. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm a Virginia boy. Um, so I, I grew up in Virginia. And I only moved to Florida um, literally in 2004 uh, for work. And um, what happened is, is I was uh, a businessman at that time. I was owning my own business, selling blinds and shutters. And I was doing quite well, living what everybody would consider the American dream. And, and that's where the airplane crashed into my house. And, you know, the, the healing I was in the hospital for nine months. So five months of which I was in a coma because of my burns and then four more months in therapy, but they can't keep you in the hospital forever. And my wife left me while I was still in a coma. Mm. So I getting out of the hospital, I was blind. I could not walk. I could not care for myself. I could do nothing for myself. So I asked my mother if I could move in with her until I got back on my feet. And she lives about an hour and a half north of the church, River of Life. And of course, she's a, she's a mom. Moms are great. <laughs> I love all moms. They're fabulous. And there's nothing like the love of a mom. And so I stayed with her. And my best friend from school, whom you know very well, because he still goes to your church, is Tim Pemberton. And he would drive an hour and a half north every Sunday, pick me up in time to bring me back down that hour and a half and go to the Sunday school classes before service, I'd spend all day with him, and then he'd drive me home at night. And that's how I got planted at River of Life. Uh, and so where I live now is strategically placed between River of Life and his house. <laughs> ah, best of all the so world. How, yeah. So you had oh, only yeah, been in you. Florida for, what, three years? Because the accident happened in July of 2007. So you had only been there a couple years. Correct. So you were in a coma for so long. Do you remember anything at all about the accident, Pete? Uh, Unfortunately, I remember everything about it. Oh, wow. Um, And, and, you know, people think that that's what you'd want. No, it'd be be a whole lot easier uh, emotionally if you could just forget all those things or if it's just a race to the memory. Because, you know, I remember my my four-year-old daughter died in that accident. Mm. And... The only reason I'm burned is because I went back in to get her. I got three feet from her, three feet away. And because the fire is so loud and the smoke was so thick, I just couldn't find her. I could hear her, oh. but I couldn't find her. And so 
you know, at that time, I was physically extremely strong. I worked out all the time. At that time, I could squat 500 pounds. I mean, you know how small I am. So I want you to just imagine uh, 500 pounds on my shoulder and I could do a squat. I warm, you know, warmed up and worked out with 300 pounds. So I was physically a very strong man. And when I got to where she was supposed to be, which was in my bedroom, and, and consequently, it was like right next to where the, the gas tank and the airplane blew up. Um, I was lifting up all the debris off the bed, but she wasn't there. And what happened is, is she kind of climbed behind a nightstand, which was right in front of her. And I can only imagine in her four-year-old mind being so scared, trying to find a way out. But um, she didn't respond, even though I could hear her crying and I was yelling out for her, Gabby, Gabby, where are you? Daddy's here to save you. She just, she had this monotone cry that really just um, was, was a sound of hopelessness. Mm. Well, I never thought about the fire being loud. So, you know, for someone who's never been in a fire, it's not just the visual and you think about the heat and the smoke, but the noise of it all. And I'm sure just the confusion and just a million things I'm sure going through your mind. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I want you to, because airplane fuel burns at 1400 degrees. I mean, it, it is intense. And so imagine Niagara Falls and you're standing right next to it and that's what it sounded like and there was the fire was literally 12 feet away from me I turned around just to see how close it was and man even through the smoke it was so bright and so intense you know horrifying truly horrifying. if you want to know what hell looked like I saw it right there oh so were you burned going in or were you burned on your way out or all of the above I was, you know, the way that it was explained to me is, is it wasn't from a flame touching me. It was the intense heat uh-huh. of that fire. That is, is like, uh, imagine having your oven on broil. And they, they literally said, you, you, in that heat, you cook a five pound roast in like two minutes. You know, it was that intense. What do you, and I know your answer before I even say this, but what do you attribute to the fact that you even made it out alive, Pete? Well, there, there is no other than God. Yeah. Literally, I, I blacked out on the bed right in front of the fire. So I have no idea how long I was blacked out. I just know it was right there. And I literally heard a voice saying, get out now. And so I was absolutely certain that there was an angel in there. And so I stumbled out of the house into the front yard. I remember the look of all the neighbor's kids just looking at me. I could tell how bad I must have looked just by the looks on their faces. and I everything else was burned. Like when they debrided me, they literally washed an inch of ash off of my back. I want you to think of the amount of flesh that is on your back. They literally washed away an inch of dead material. Oh, and of all of your injuries, I knew you were blind. I remember you being on a walker when you first came to River of Life. Let's just talk about your injuries for a moment. What, what was the worst? Was it trying to get skin grafts? Was it reco- getting your eyesight back? Was it just a, all of those at one time? Or was there one injury that kind of presented itself as being the most challenging? Uh, the death of my daughter is the one injury that people can't see. And that was the most difficult to deal with. Mm. And it's the only one of all the injuries that I've sustained that I still know today what that pain is like. Um, I can't describe to you the pain from any of the areas of my body, not even the having my corneas cut off and replaced. I can't explain any of that to you. And I've had 
hundreds of surgeries, skin grafts, preparation for skin grafts. I mean, literally the, the amount of trauma to my body, it is a miracle that I'm alive. And the way they calculate it is they take your age, I was 36 at the time, and the percent you're burned, which was 96, they add those two numbers together, and that's your chance to die. If you talk to a medical professional today, that's still the formula they use. So I had a 132% chance of dying. So there's no way to explain it. There's no way to explain why I'm still here, but, but God. And, and going back to the, the physical injuries, the most painful one that I remember is I, I had, um, you know when they, they stuff a compress up in your nose to stop bleeding? Can you yeah, imagine that? Yeah, they, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Little cotton round dowel about an inch and a half long and about maybe a half inch in diameter. And they shove it in your nose. It stops you from bleeding. bleeding. They actually forgot to take it out or somehow it was just left in so long that my body had grown around it. Oh. And so I literally had that surgically removed out of my nose while I was awake. No anesthesia, no anything. And so that's, I actually detail in the book. It was actually pretty, I can look back and say it's a funny story now. It wasn't fun to go through and I, I wouldn't no, wish that on anybody. there's nothing funny about any of it. And I know that there's a lot of things that God has done in your life. And I hesitate to ask you this and I've never asked you this, but now that I'm hearing you say how close you were to Gabby, did you struggle with why you couldn't find her? Was that hard? I, mean, I can't imagine emotionally the toll that that took on you. How did you make peace with that? Well, um, you know, the, the struggles I had were, were really kind of like, okay, why wasn't I smart enough? Because the, the fire was literally in my closet. I was standing in front of my closet when I saw that uh, fire that's 12 feet. Why didn't I have the presence of mind to shut the door? Who knows if that would have given me hmm. uh, 30 seconds more and I might have found her so those are those are my real questions what I mean I had the blessing of never saying oh god why me or questioning why did this happen the way it did you know we live in a fallen world people make decisions and sometimes we're affected by the consequences of their bad decisions which is is my case the the plane was documented to have an electrical problem and wasn't supposed to go up so the pilots both paid with their lives for taking it up but I was also a victim of that, and so was my daughter, and so was my neighbor and her son. So it's just, you know, we live in a fallen world. And so I, I always thought, you know, about the, the Christians in Africa that are martyred, you know, literally put on stakes and for no other reason than their faith. And I thought, you know, who am I that I'd be so special not to suffer anything? You know, I'm, I'm no one. And those people, they suffered these horrific things for no real apparent reason and nobody hears about it. Nobody cares. Mm. So my question's always been, why not me? You know, that was, that was really the way I perceived it. Do you think there's something specific that helped you to shift your perspective, to look at things that way? Was that your perspective on life even prior to the accident? Or do you feel like it was just a deepening of your faith that allowed you to kind of have that perspective? Cause not everybody gets their Pete. I'll just be honest. I mean, that's a really, mature, uh, rich perspective to be able to put on such a tragedy? Uh, that It's totally not of me, by the way. And I was such a, a, a 
new Christian at that time. I'd only been a Christian for like two years before the accident. So, I mean, I didn't even know that there was a book of Job, let alone know that I was living it out. So I can't say that it has anything to do with me or my faith. I can only say that it's a blessing that God gave me. And, you know, sometimes God gives those kinds of gifts that we can't explain or we don't understand. And that, that's the only way I can say it. It was just a gift that was given to me. You know, I, I ask almost all of my guests how they saw miracles or how they're still seeing miracles in the middle of whatever it is they've been through. And your answer to me was, I am the miracle. I was the miracle. I mean, you've said there's really medically, realistically, no way you should even be alive. But can you see why some of the reasons why God spared you? I know you're doing amazing things. I know you've written your story. What do you hope and pray God does through what you've been through? Well, I think it's because it gives me um, perspectives that I wouldn't otherwise have. And so I'm able to, to see people where they are and in the pain that they're at, and I can really empathize with them. There's a, a guy I'm ministering to multiple times every week. He's in a prison now. But what happened is a year after my accident, he, an electrical fire broke out in his house in the middle of the night and killed his wife and three young children. Oh. And so for the last 10 years, he's been an alcoholic, drug dealer, living on the street, really lost to the world, lost to himself. And I mean, it's, it's a miracle that I was even put in touch with this guy, but who better to minister to somebody who's gone through that than somebody who's been through it? I say it all the time. You know, who better to minister to a rape victim than somebody who's been raped? Who better to minister to somebody who's lost their spouse to a disease than somebody who's already lost their spouse? So I've been able to minister pe to people in a way that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do. I wouldn't even be able to understand it. And this man is absolutely changed. Absolutely changed. Wow. It's it's a just a blessing to listen to him talk. I, I, I mean, he reads the Bible more than I do now. Are you kidding oh. me? It's incredible. <laughs> wow. You know, and it, what's inspiring to me, Pete, and I've seen this trajectory of your life over, you know, since I met you when you first moved back here, is see how intentional you are about allowing this to be a catalyst for change, whether it's one person's life that you're ministering to, like you say, or overseas or all the places you're sharing your story. I mean, there's a lot of people that go through things far less far less than what you've been through. And I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. There's also people listening that have been through horrendous things. And some people get stuck and they can't seem to move past that place. And some people get unstuck. Now we know that the difference is the grace of God. We know the difference is our, our cooperation with the Holy Spirit to say, I can't change what happened. We live in a fallen world. God doesn't want these awful things to happen. He never intended for these things to happen, but he can use these things for good. You know, you, I know one of your favorite verses is Romans 8, 28, that there's good that comes. It doesn't look like it sometimes, but what do you say to people that just can't seem to get unstuck? How, how can your story help someone else to get an unstuck from their own pain? Okay. Um, pain is one of these things. It's so unique. It's, impossible to quantify and we live in a world that wants to measure everything how do you put a scale out there and try to weigh uh what it feels like to have your leg amputated mm -hmm. or to see your child run over by a car or 
to lose your job, your house, everything you have, your family falls apart. How do you put that on a scale? You can't. I met a woman while I was recovering and her boyfriend poured gasoline on her and lit her on fire, trying to kill her. And literally she, she was burned much less of her body, but her, um, lower extremities were fourth degree burned. They were burned to where the bone was not salvageable. They had to amputate below her knees, both of her legs. And so at that time, my nerves were waking up. So at that time I had intense, constant intense, like somebody was sticking needles in my feet. I I mean, if your hands fall asleep, you understand that pins and needles feeling. Imagine somebody taking like a nail and sticking it in your foot constantly. And so I, I met her and I said, thank you, Jesus, for the pain I have in my feet, because I still have feet. And so when, when I, we're talking about somebody who's suffering, first of all, it's valid and it's understandable for you to grieve, mourn, whatever it is. Okay, that's allowable, but you never can get past the past if you're always living it. Okay, mm-hmm. it's good to use it kind of the way you use your platform now and the things you've gone through and the way I'm using my platform and the things I've gone to, but it's not good to let hold you hostage. So it can be your greatest strength or your greatest weakness, but that's up to you. The saying, I don't want to throw platitudes out there, but everybody's heard this. You know, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you deal with it. You got to, to change your perspectives or what you focus on. It's all a choice to whether it be miserable or to see it as joy. Hmm. Man, that's so great. I'm going to go back and listen to that, Pete, because I love how you said, and maybe even the way I introduced the question was, you know, there's people that haven't suffered as much. And, and you challenged me to say, listen, suffering is suffering and we can't quantify it. But whether it's whatever the suffering looks like, we're still, it's still our suffering. I remember going to a counseling session once and, and the counselor said, you know, we, when something happens to us, we kind of want to shift the blame or we don't want to deal with it. And his analogy was a tornado comes in your home. It destroys half your home. You don't want to deal with it. You didn't cause a tornado. Why should I have to repair this damage in my house? Why do I have to pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. So you just put up a wall and live out of half your house rather than mm-hmm. repairing it. The Holy spirit is the, the ultimate inspector that would come in and see the heart damage we have and know where there's cracks in the wall that we wouldn't even seen repair it. But we have to be willing to say, no matter what happened to me, how it happened, or I didn't deserve it or whatever it might be. It's, it's my heart damage. Now it's my damage now. And I'm, I have to now partner with the Holy spirit to move past this place. And that's what I hear that you did. You, none of this was anything regardless of whether it's far doing or not, there are people listening who their own choices have landed them in situations of suffering. But even in that God's mercy is so great for us. But what you're saying is we still have the choice to say, I'm not going to just let myself be defined by my suffering. I'm going to move beyond that. And it's just that engaging of our will. Is that what you'd say? Just the choice that we have to make to partner. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right. See, and, and also, the thing that is tough about our human condition is we are the poorest self-examiners. So that portion of the house, that metaphorical house you're talking about, that may have needed to be condemned and we weren't smart enough to tear it down. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there's some things God allows to change us because we need to change. Things need to change. 
I'm not going to say that for everybody because, you know, that's not good. You know, looking at my own situation, I, I can't apply my daughter being killed in that kind of context. But it, the, to the point is what can you do with it? It's not like, okay, we just been given a basket of lemons and now we got to suck on a lemon. It's how can we use this and make some lemonade? I mean, where can we take this and see the beauty from the ashes? And some of God is always going to be God. He's always going to do his part. You know, but we got we to gotta have a little buy-in. We got to have a little skin in the game. We got to do our part. And so I remember when I woke up from that coma, one of my first thoughts was, if I'm ever getting out of this bed, I need to start doing some work. So I would, I mean, it had to be so pathetic. But there I was maybe two weeks awake from the coma, trying to do crunches, okay? It had to be comical to see it. And I remember one of the nurses walking in saying, boy, you put me to shame. But, you know, it's, you don't focus on what you can't do. You focus on what you can do and you do it. That's so inspiring. I know it's a passion of yours to encourage other people to share their stories, right? Because Revelation says we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So why do you think that's so important? Because you never know who you're going to be the lifeline to. I mean, we don't live in a vacuum. And every single, and I'm saying every single person you see on the street as you walk by has an issue. It may not be as spectacular or traumatic as the airplane crashing the house, but there's something that's really crushing them. And, you know, especially with like half of the, the women's population having been molested, that's like statistically... Uh, jaw dropping, but this for men is is equally as jaw dropping. How many of them have been molested? And those are the hurts you can't see. You can see my physical scars, but the deepest, most painful injuries are not visible. And so, one, we can have a whole lot more grace for everybody around us when we see them maybe not being as nice as they can. Maybe we could be a little bit more patient, understanding, and realize, hey, this may be the day that they're dealing with their wife leaving them. Or this may be the day that they have to go in there and uh, try and file for unemployment or whatever the case may be. Y you have to be able to see one past you, which uh, is super difficult to do. That's just, I'll, I'll just be honest, that's a super tough thing to do. And I know that through the fire, you wrote about the life of Job. In fact, I think your subtitle is a modern day, remind me of your subtitle of Through the Fire. It's the true story of a 21st century Job. If anyone has not read the book of Job, why does this, I, I've read it, it's been a while since I've gone back through it, but why does that story resonate the most to you of any Bible story? And, and what have you lifted out of it that's been the most hope-giving to you? In one day, he lost all of his material wealth and all of his children, all 10 of them, were killed. One day. And Job did not curse God. And then after that, subsequent to that, Job had boils all over his entire body. And his friends were saying, you know, what have you done? You've sinned. His wife even said, why don't you finally get it over with? Just curse God and, and die. Literally, he never did. He cursed the day he was born, but he never cursed God. And in the end of the story, 
he was considered righteous and everything was given back to him. He got seven more sons, three more daughters, and twice the wealth that he had. And so that is such an encouraging book. I, I just encourage everybody, just go over that book. It, it says right in there, naked we came into this world and naked, naked we will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's a redemption story too. I mean, we, we think sometimes about the suffering, but God is in the redemption and the restoration business too. After all my injuries are healed, I'm doing better physically now than I think even before the accident. I, I just can't tell you what a wonderful, blessing, blessed life I have. Your book is Through the Fire. How can they find it? And I know you speak and share your testimony. I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you. So what's the best way for them to do that? And I'll put it in my show notes as well. Well, throughthefire.net is my website. You can get the, the Kindle version or ebook version on Amazon, whatever. Um, Email me at God brought me through the fire, all one word at gmail.com if you're interested in connecting with me. You know, I'm honored to know you. I'm honored to have seen that you're the real deal behind the scenes. I know you, you know, just to have thought back to that first time I met you and to now and to just see the, the joy in which you choose to embrace life. It's, it's truly inspiring. Honestly, I just want you to know you've been such a personal inspiration to me and I'm honored that you took the time to to share your story with our our listeners today if you would pray over us as we end today that would be amazing well I'd love to father God I just thank you for this time that we could share together Lord and that we could lift you up because you are the reason why we're here you are the one who saved us and you deserve everything we have and everything that we are. So Father God, I just pray that the people who are hurting right now and have listened to this, Lord, that they are encouraged, that they can see you in their lives and see how you're moving. Let them not focus on the negative things that have happened to them, but what you are causing, calling them to be and what you want to do with it, Lord, because you don't, it's not like a banana peel where it gets thrown in the trash. You use everything. And when it means everything, it means everything. And so I thank you. Let the scriptures come alive in their heart. Let Romans 8, 28 come alive in their heart. John 10, 10 come alive in their heart so that they see that it's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and, and destroy, and that you come to give life and life more abundant. Lord, let them be a living testimony of who you are so that many people can come to know you and be saved and redeemed through your love and through your blood in the name of Jesus. Amen. so much for joining our conversation. I'd love to stay connected, so be sure to visit AngelaDenadio.com for my books, blogs, and free goodies. And find me on Facebook at AngelaDenadioBOV and Instagram at AngelaDenadio. If you've been inspired to make life matter, leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's keep discovering miracles in life's messy moments.